All right. Uh, hey, let's get started today. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, but uh, as you're turning there, let's begin with one of the classics um, in literature, Daniel DeVoe's book, Robinson Crusoe. Robinson Crusoe is a book about a man who gets stranded on an island and for years lives there on the island all by himself, but one day he notices a set of footprints that are not his size, and he realizes that there is someone else now on the island and someone had been banished there as a punishment, and so now there's two people on the island. Of course, they meet. The man who is now new to the island is so thankful that he has been rescued uh, that he willingly, gladly serves Robinson Crusoe and uh, does whatever he wants done because he's alive. Uh, Robinson Crusoe was able to save him. So Robinson Crusoe teaches him English and, of course, teaches him about God and about Jesus. And so as he's learning English and he's still speaking in much broken English and he's learning about God and about Jesus, he one day has a question for Robinson Crusoe. He says, uh, you say God is big. Robinson Crusoe says, yes. You say God is bigger than the devil. Yes. And he says, well, if God is bigger than the devil, why doesn't God kill devil?" And at that point, Robinson Crusoe didn't have an answer for that. He wasn't sure how to really respond to that, and so he acted like he just didn't hear him. It's cave as a parent, evidently. Well, that joke didn't go over well, did it? <laughs> the kids are all gone. You can be honest. To, you know. Okay. Yeah, so he didn't know how to answer it, but finally he comes back to the realization of why there is a devil. And that's what I want to talk about today. We think about Christmas and we think about the, the beauty of it and the majesty of it, and, and I'm even going to use the word romance of it. We see a picture that is just fabulous and wonderful. We see, we see the eloquence of it, and we focus on that so much. But as we read the Word of God and we see all of the different events and components that caused Christmas to be Christmas as we know it, we recognize that it's not all glamour and glitz. There's a lot of intricacy within this very story in which we see the devil trying to do his work, and yet God obviously triumphing in his own work. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at the four dreams that God gave to Joseph. Joseph, a spouse to be married to Mary... Not sure what to do, but God gives him four dreams. An angel of the Lord appears to him, and we see there at first there in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. Uh, Joseph, being a righteous man, finds out that Mary is pregnant. And so he is upset. He knows, ain't mine, right? So, but he doesn't want her to be publicly humiliated, so he plans on doing things quietly and in secret, but yet he has a dream and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, don't, don't be afraid to take Mary to Mary. Don't be afraid to marry Mary because what's happening in her is from the Holy Spirit and there's a plan. Uh, there's a plan. Don't worry about it. And so there was a prophecy fulfilled. Then we see another dream after the Jesus is born in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. It says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, hey, listen, somebody's going to try and kill the baby. 
So get up, go down to Egypt. Again, this was done so that it would be a prophecy fulfilled that says that God would bring his son out of Egypt. Then in chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, now it's time for them to go back out of Egypt into Israel. And again, he has a dream. An angel says, all right, those who were trying to kill the baby are now gone. Take the baby back where you came from. So he does that, but not sure exactly where to settle. In verses 21 to 23, he's not sure what to really do. But again, he has a dream. And they go down to Galilee again to fulfill a prophecy that Jesus would be called a Galilean, or he would become from Nazareth. So all of these things are happening, and we see that behind all of the romance and the, and the glamour and the feeling, the good feelings about Christmas, there's an agency happening of trying to kill Jesus, trying to disrupt the plan of God trying to come into the situation and bring disruption, which is the very thing that Satan loves to do. And it would be wonderful if in this context, Jesus could have just made this perfect little um, scenario, this perfect little culture or this region where nothing bad was happening, and that's where Jesus was born. But that's not what he did. God could have put a like a, a bubble around Mary and Joseph and Jesus to where everything else around them is horrible, but there's a little bubble of protection and nothing could get to them. But he didn't do that. There was a plan of God and there was a devil trying to stop it, and yet God had a way of working all things for good. God instituted his way of saying, I've got this under control, but you need to listen to me and you need to be obedient. And you and I are facing the same thing in our lives, is that God is God and he is our Lord and our Savior and our King and, our, and the love of our life, and yet we live in a world where there's trouble. We live in a world where there is confusion disruption. We live in a world where there's chaos at many times, and certainly an enemy that has a plan that is the exact opposite of what God's plan for our life is. And so we title this today as though it's a steady sojourn. A sojourn is a temporary stay. And we're here temporarily, and we're in this season temporarily. And yet we want to have a steady sojourn. We want to have things go as they should go, and yet life has its moments of disruption as what's happened with Joseph and Mary and also happens with you and happens with me. So if Joseph and Mary's sojourn, this journey that they were on, this traveling that they were on, if it was steady, what is the steadying point of it? What caused it to be steady? Well, it had to be God. Because King Herod wasn't making it steady. Others were not making it steady. But yet God in the middle of the situation says, I get it. There is an enemy, but listen, obey, and things are going to work out very, very well. God is the steady in our lives. Just as Mary and Joseph were carrying valuable cargo, I would say that you too are carrying value within your life. You have been given a new nature. You've been given the very nature of God inside of you to be what you're always destined to be. You are carrying an anointing, a calling, talents. 
in which God says, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life, and I have something I want you to do. You're carrying that within you. You're carrying gifts and talents that other people need. And because you're carrying the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead within you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God says, I want to protect you. And I want to take all that's happening around you and show you that you can depend on me because I have it. I've got this. I need you to listen and I need you to obey. We see in the Garden of Eden. We think about the Garden of Eden many times as like, man, I wish I was Adam or Eve. I wouldn't have messed it up. I would have recognized that's the perfect place, man. Are you kidding me? Everything's good. But if the Garden of Eden was a perfect place, why was the devil in there? See, sometimes we don't think about that. God, in his wisdom, allowed Satan to enter into that garden. And yet it was a perfect place. Yet it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was awesome and amazing. But yet there was an enemy. God is not afraid of what the enemy can do because God has already conquered the enemy. I would say he's on a leash. The devil has a leash that's determined by God. We see that in the book of Job where Satan appears before God and says, uh, yeah, I've been noticing your servant Job. He only serves you because there's a protection around him. He only serves you because I can't get to him. And God said, okay, let's see. I'm paraphrasing here. You won't find it in the scripture. God says, okay. But God, he allows then Satan to come and, and really attack Job. And so it didn't work. And so the devil comes before God again and says, well, okay, but if I could do a little further, then he would curse you. And God says, okay. And that didn't work. And on and on. So we see that God is not afraid of Satan. He puts him on a leash and says, you can only go so far. And then... <laughs> I just think every once in a while, God just jerks his leash. That's just my opinion, just for fun. We also should not be afraid of the devil. There's a difference between respect and fear. We should have a respect for his power, and yet no fear for what he can or will do in our lives because we serve one who's greater. God says, greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. God says, I've given my spirit within you. And I've called you more than conquerors and overcomers. Well, if there's nothing to overcome, how can we be an overcomer? If there's nothing to conquer, how can we be a conqueror? He says, I'm declaring what you are even before you do it. And so then we have the courage to say, wait a minute, if God says I can overcome this, then I can overcome. If God says I'm victorious, I am victorious. All I've got to go is through the battle. I don't have to worry about going into the battle and being consumed. I just have to go through the battle. And so here we have a different perspective. We have what God is providing for us. He provides for us a warning. He says, be on your guard. Be vigilant. He said, I don't want you to be just like lollygagging through life, just, you know, que sera, sera. I want you to be on guard, and I want you to be vigilant you got to watch out. He says the, the devil is seeking whom he may devour. He's roaring. He's making noise. 
He does have power. He says, be on guard. Watch out. Don't, don't, don't just, just take it easy. Be on guard. And yet, in the time that we're on guard, in the time that he directs us, God directs us to move here, move there, stop, turn left, turn right, press forward. At that same time, he says, I want you to rest. It's interesting here that when God appeared to Joseph in his dreams, Joseph was sleeping. So it's not a matter of God saying, I just want you to be on constant vigilant and constant on guard and I want you to have anxiety all the time. No, anxiety is a gift from God. Anxiety all the time is a present from the devil. Did you get that? See, we need, to, we need to have some anxiety. We need to be on guard. We need to be watching out. And yet, we need to rest. In fact, God even said, I'd like for you to rest every seven days. Take an entire day off. Now, there's a concept, isn't it? It's not a very American concept, but it's a great concept. He says, I want you to have the warning to be on guard. Watch out. But I also want you to rest. I want you to take it easy. It's going to be okay. We don't live 24-7 worrying about what the devil will do. The Bible tells us, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. The first step is to submit yourself to God. And so we submit. That's what Joseph did. Joseph submitted himself to God. And you and I are called to submit ourselves to say, God, you've called me to rest. I'm going to rest. You've called me to be vigilant. I'm going to be vigilant. And when you give me a dream or a word or a prophecy or an encouragement, an inspiration, I'm going to be obedient and do what you've called me to do. Yes. So I, I have warning. I live with warning, but I also live with direction. God tells Joseph, this is what I want you to do. Back up, move over, go this way, go that way. And God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given you his spirit to direct you and lead you into all truth. It is a gift that he gives you upon salvation. He says, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And every Christian has been given the glory and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to direct us and guide us and lead us. The word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And the Holy Spirit illuminates that word and teaches us that word and shows us what it really means. The Holy Spirit nudges us and and directs us. Aren't you thankful for the times the Holy Spirit just nudged you? It just spoke to you? Maybe it was like crystal clear, and maybe it was a little foggy, but yet the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, all right, this is what I want you to do. Stop, go, turn, and that's what he does. He gives us direction by his Spirit. But thirdly, he gives us opportunities. He gives us opportunities to see God in action. You see, if there was no adversary, if there was no enemy, if there was no devil, there was no confusion, if there was nothing out there that could harm us, or what would really happen to us? Let me tell you a story. About 100 years ago, there was a fishing village in England, and there were many men who were fishermen, and they, would have, they had all kind of, kind of the same style boats, fishing vessels, and they had live wells down in the bow of the, the ship, in which when they caught their fish, they would put them into these uh, wells, and they had a system of the salt water, the fresh water coming through the wells to keep the, the fish alive. And they would go out for a week, 10 days, and then bring their catch back. But they found that most of the time, these fish, even in that week 
of not being in the ocean, but now in the, in the wells of their boats, their muscles had actually begun to atrophy. And they had act, their, their muscles were actually weaker. The fish weren't as sweet tasting and weren't as firm. The meat wasn't as firm. And they were trying to figure out a way to, to, to change that, and they really didn't think they could. But there was one fisherman who, when he brought his catch in, same fish, caught at the same time, but when he brought his fish into the marketplace to sell them, they could easily recognize his fish were more lively, they were stronger, they had not begun to atrophy at all, their muscles were tight and strong, and the taste was better. Well, you know what the other fishermen wanted? What's the secret sauce? What, what are you doing? And he just wouldn't tell them. Good businessman. He just wouldn't tell them. And this went on for years, and they kept trying, they kept watching him. They were trying to observe what, what is he doing to cause his fish to be better, and therefore he got a better price for his fish. Well, it ended up that the fisherman died. But in his will, he wanted to give his secret away. So his daughter, after he died, was reading his will. And she gathered all the fishermen together, and, he, and she said, my dad wanted you to know this after he died. And he, through a long story, he began to tell them his secret. And he said, my secret was very, very simple. You could have done it. It's very simple. He said, in the wells of the boat where we would put our catch, I would make sure that there was a catfish in those wells. Because the catfish were the natural enemy of those fish. And they were constantly trying to grab those fish and eat lunch and eat dinner and eat breakfast. And the fish that I caught had to keep swimming and darting and moving because there was an adversary in the well. You see, without an adversary, we take life easy and we rest. And what's the big deal? There's no sense of urgency. There's no passion. There's no... And we just try to take it easy. I know you wouldn't and I wouldn't, but maybe your neighbor would. It's human nature, right? If we can take it easy, we take it easy. And yet God in his wisdom recognizes that we are on a sojourn. This is a time and season on this planet, on this earth, where it is a season. And he says, it's not a season to atrophy. It is not a season to just lay back. It's not a season to take it easy. It's a season to be vigilant because I want you taught. I want you lively. I want you strong. And without an adversary, we weaken. But with an adversary, we become stronger. God is not afraid of the devil. We should not be afraid of the devil. But we need to be aware and on guard so that we can experience God's love. His absolute, utter love that he says, I am pouring out my love into your life so you will know that you are loved. You will know that I care for you. You will know that I have a plan for your life. He says, I want to show you my protection. I want you to have the opportunity to see my protection. I want you to see that I know how to take care of you. And you'll only know that when there's danger. You'll only know that when there's the possibility of even disaster. I want you to know that. And he says, I want you to know my power. He says, I've got power that you can't even imagine, and I will show it to you at just the right moment and just the right time. 
I want you to see my love. I want you to see my provision, my power. I want you to see all that I can do in your life. We often say around here at Hope Crossings that everyone wants a miracle. It's just no one wants to need one. Right? But God allows us to go into situations to where we actually need a miracle. And that's when we say, okay, God, I I need to buff up. I need to get submitted to you. I need to pray a little more. I need to read a little bit more. Am I talking to the right people here today? I got to go. I got to go a little bit more. I got a little more intense. I've got to follow you closely. And so he wants us to lean into him so that we can hear. What if Joseph, what if Joseph, he didn't hear the dream? What if Joseph was just like, oh, that, I just had too much pizza. You know, that wasn't, no, but he, he was leaning in. God, I, I need you in this situation. I've never been here before. This wasn't part of my plan. I just, you know, the, our families arranged for me to marry this Mary, and that, that was good. But now this is a whole other ball game here. You thought you were going through life and everything was great, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, uh, I've got a plan for your life. You're like, oh, this is taking it to a whole other level. And so we've got to lean in to listen to his voice. We've got to lean in to say, God, what are you saying? Do you do the same thing every time you're talking to somebody that you can't hear, right? You're like, what? And you kind of lean in a little closer. That's what God wants us to do is just lean in and say, God, what are you telling me? Are you telling me stop, move, go left, right, up, down? Where, what are you telling me? How do I handle this situation? i got a situation with my marriage, my children, my finances, my job, my neighbor, whatever it is. God, what do I do? How do I handle this thing? And God says, ah, now we're going. Let's move forward. God, how do I, how do I overcome this thing? I see the enemy at work. How do I overcome? I see what's happening. How do I overcome? And we lean in to hear what he's saying to us. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, this is, this is all kind of brand new. What, what's, what's all this about? It's about following Jesus Christ. You see, being a follower of Jesus is, is not just simply about coming forward, saying a prayer, and getting baptized in water. It, it's about really saying, I want to lean in to my Savior. I want to hear his voice speaking to me because I want to follow him. I want to see what God has in store for me. I want to see miracles. I want to experience miracles. I want to see the little miracles and the big miracles. Someone in the church was just telling me a story this past week. Uh, it was one of those cold mornings. Uh, so it was, uh, it was about a week or two ago. Cold, cold morning. And uh, it's about four or five in the morning, and she's going to work. And uh, went to roll her window down, and it went halfway and stopped. And she's getting ready to drive for 30 minutes to work, and it's really cold. And it wouldn't move. The, button, the, the, the window wouldn't move. It would just make a sound. And she just stopped and she prayed, said, God, I really need this window to go back up because it's cold and I've got to drive a long way. Amen. She hit the button and went right back up. Little miracle? You call it what you want. I don't know. But I know this, that God wants us to be overcomers. If we can trust him for the little stuff, perhaps we'll trust him for the big stuff. I think there's a scripture about that. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful over much. we got to lean in to say, God, what is it? Speak to me. What are you trying to tell me? Now, God speaking to you might be a kind of a new concept for you. But I assure you, 
your friend Jesus wants to speak to you. I assure you, your friend Jesus wants to guide and direct your life. And he will speak to you predominantly, first off and foremost, in his word. But he'll also, in your heart of hearts, just say, yes, do this. Go over here. Stop. Go. Move. Because he loves you. He wants to show you his power. He wants to show you his absolute protection over your life. But let's lean into him today. Can we lean in to our Savior today?